HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Of A Kind, an online shop for emerging design. For more information, visit ofakind.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Uh, thanks to Renny Lopez for those fun tunes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess you guys have been, in case you guys have been listening and, and have always wondered who, who plays those kind of rad tunes at the beginning, it's uh, a friend of mine, Renny Lopez. Um, definitely check his music out. He's always playing around town. Um, and uh, today we have two friends of mine, even more important, they've been friends of Heritage Radio Network, um, Leslie Pariso and Talia Baiocchi, um, the girls behind uh, Drink, uh, uh, sorry, uh, punch punch <laughs> the website is punchdrink yep dot com uh, <laughs> like uh, that's what's on your mind right now yeah i was i was looking i was looking up this morning and like punch why isn't it's going it's punchdrink.com yeah. hawaiian punch owns punch yeah we didn't want to we didn't want to try to fight with hawaiian punch to get punch.com I, it was, we were gonna lose that battle for sure <laughs> yeah they're gonna they're gonna send uh, a, a big guy in like a, a red costume yeah, yeah. like just staining like all your kool-aid man <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. I, I've been a, a fan since, uh, you guys just, uh, you guys just launched, but, um, I think it's an outstanding publication. It's, it's really a great mix of, uh, being approachable for everyone, but also, um, having some really, really smart, uh, content, some beautiful high impact photography. Um, it's just really, really well done. I think you, I think Thanks. you're both doing Thank a great job. You. We try. <laughs> Uh, and tell us uh, about how you uh, how you met and how this uh, this project came to be. So it's sort of a funny story, and it begins in France. Um, so that's kind of fancy. As all good things, yeah. <laughs> um, and we were we were actually on a trip together to Bordeaux, and this was like I, I, we should probably find out like when this was. I think, I think it was three, three years ago. ago. And um, we met there. It was a really small trip, um, and it was kind of a weird trip. But um, but you know our our friendship sort of grew out of that, and and we hit it off. And while we were there, like you know, a couple late nights in in bars in Bordeaux, talking about um, one day sort of dreaming to do a website that brought together the worlds of of spirits, cocktails, and wine. 
Um, and we got back and we bought a URL. It was called antidote.com. Mm-hmm. And with like, we had like $5 and we, <laughs> we <laughs> and it went like, toward buying that URL. Yeah. <laughs> so we spent all of our money on, um, the URL <laughs> godaddy.com. And then, um, we like even looked into getting a web designer. We met with a few people, but the two of us were, you know, this was like earlier in our career and both of us were just kind of hustling and like trying to make it and, um, and freelancing and busy and it sort of fell to the wayside and we still own the URL and we get little, we get it's updates funny. every six months for new antidote.com. And so the way that the punch happened, um, you know, when 10 speed press came to me and said, Hey, like, do you want to do this, uh, this drinks website? We really feel like this, this section of the internet is sort of underserved, um, immediately obviously Leslie came to mind I said I I, I would love to do this but I'm not going to do it without her and so essentially we are doing what we wanted to do three years ago but with a real backer and more than five dollars so you met on this trip and when you got back and it was like an instant connection and you got back you're like let's do this together yeah Yeah, we met we we didn't live far from each other so we met up in in bars and restaurants and talked about the idea and met actually met with a designer but We were both hustling and yeah. trying to figure out the freelance game in New York, which is not always easy. Yeah, no. I mean, you're, you've both been published in many, many publications. Um, you've had, you've already said so much, but uh, Punch shows that you have so much more to say. Yeah, and I love how it's a combination of uh, of the archaic mm-hmm. of of what's going on right now and the mm-hmm. future and how things are, mm-hmm. are evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, and where let's, let's talk first about the, the archaic about mm-hmm. the, uh, the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume that I know that both of you have, uh, history in, in art history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. is yeah. that where some of that comes from where your interest in, in history and, and, old-timey things? Yeah, I think that looking through the lens of art is a really great way to see history. I think it's, for me anyways, when I was studying art, it was a more interesting way to to figure out what history meant and the politics of a certain time. And seeing it through the visual, I think, is, is for me, the best way that I learned. But I think for a lot of people, learning through drinking is probably more interesting than sticking your nose in a book all the time. So I think that's also, I I think that is, is what's interesting to everybody because almost everybody at some point in life is sitting at a bar or drinking at home. And so it's a really easy way to relate to topics that you might not necessarily come across. Mm-hmm. Like the other day we just had, we published a piece about this guy who was an original member of the black metal scene in Oslo. And he ended up becoming a winemaker. With Luca Roagna of all people <laughs> in, in Piemonte. And you would think that this guy who's like about like, you know, in the Oslo scene in the 1990s in terms of black metal was about like cannibalism and murder and like weird stuff, <laughs> you know, and it's like doesn't really seem like a scene that would lend itself well to like, you know, fine wine production. Yeah. And, and Luca is a, a pretty humble, yeah. sweet, soft spoken guy. But so is this guy. And I think it's it's such an interesting thing. But the, the piece was about the parallels between like what black metal really means to to Norway specifically and it being a reflection of that place being bleak and cold and and um, sort of a depressing place. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in this sense, this guy, this this musician was expressing his place, like the, the his land, like the music of his people and is attracted to wine because of the same reason. So it's a really interesting parallel. And I think you see these connections sort of play out in different ways. And what we want to do is, is talk about them a little more. So it offers people a way to connect to the things we love in an easier way. Yeah. And Leslie, you, before, uh, before starting 
Punch, you you also worked for, uh, you worked in the spirits industry a little bit? I did, yeah. I worked on the education side for Pernod Ricard for a while. They started a, a program called Bar Smarts, which I helped to manage and traveled all around the, all around the country with um, like Dale DeGroff and Dave Wunderich and Steve Olson, all these people who are so integral in building what the spirits industry is today. Um, so sitting around a table with them late at night and talking about all of these, all of these stories that, you know, they've, they've seen the, they've seen the spirits industry grow and obviously some of them are in wine too. And it was one of those things that piqued my interest because they're, I mean, they're like, they're our like founding fathers. And so it, it made me want to go deeper and, um, I found that somewhat through the spirits industry, you know, sitting, sitting at a bar late at night, um, talking as a brand ambassador, but I was always pursuing at the same time um, writing, and it was just a really easy way to do it because I was I was literally in the middle of all of it. Mm-hmm. And how does yeah. that inform some of the stuff that that you cover mm-hmm. in the magazine? Like, well, it's interesting now because we're we're figuring out we've been alive now for about three three and a half months, and it's really funny we're, we're like, seeing can't even feed ourselves yet. Like, <laughs> 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 Um, but we're, we're figuring out what our audience responds to. And it's really funny because the wine side, everybody, um, is, is very engaged on social media and, um, kind of shows up whenever we have a wine piece and we're still sort of figuring out the cocktail crowd. And I think that it's, I'm trying to figure out right now, having been in the spirits industry, um, what they respond to. And actually a lot of that is sort of the like weird historical stuff. Like Mm -hmm. we had this piece, um, from a bartender in San Francisco, Jen Collier, and she wrote about the history of lime juice and the fact that <laughs> lime juice um, before the 1920s was actually all key lime juice. And eventually the Persian lime, which we use today, ended up taking over. And that's that's what we what we use in bars and restaurants. The flavor is so different. And exactly. so like all of these cocktails that we were trying to recreate from pre-1920 were totally tasted different. You know, like the daiquiri wasn't the same before then because of this lime juice. So, and people in the cocktail world tend to geek out about stuff like that. They love stuff like that. Anything that's sort of recipe-based and informs the application of, of cocktails is is interesting to them. So we're figuring out the balance of, of content right now. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I mean, I, I think it would be really cool. I, I haven't seen anyone really try to replicate the old style of sugar. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Oh, that that's kind a great of point. like hard and dark sugar that was really prevalent. It's yeah. really refined white sugar that we make our simple syrups with. I mean, I guess if you use like a demerara, yeah. um, it's it probably is closer to it, but yeah. it's still like way, way more refined than anything that people were using when they were like physically like cutting off pieces off of a sugar block. Yeah. yeah. Like the loaf, the sugar loaf. The sugar loaf, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. There's something like really kind of gross, but also sounds delicious about a sugar a loaf. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a loaf of sugar. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's funny about recreating old cocktails is like we, there's a place in, I mean, all of these ingredients that we're using now are totally different. So mm-hmm. a lot of these brands have changed their recipes, you know, over the course of the last 100 years. So Dubonnet, for example, is completely different than it was you know, in, in the beginning of this the last century. And um, we did, a, a, Leslie wrote a piece about this bar in Berlin that actually is sourcing, you know, all of these spirits from, you know, 100 years ago. So a lot of this is like 19th century old Tom Gin and making cocktails from these, like actually from these bottles from them. So really, truly, literally recreating the cocktails. But most of what we're doing now is, you know, obviously not exactly the same as it was before. But yeah. And yeah. he would charge like, it was like 300 bucks for a Sazerac or something. 300 euros for a Sazerac. Yeah, yeah it was every, euros for a Sazerac. every ingredient That's was like over 100 a, an years old. an annual salary yeah. in, yes. in, in 1920. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
And actually, Talia's been doing a lot of the same thing um, and testing sherry cocktails for her book, which I've I've been privy to the process and <laughs> been able to sit around and, and test all of her drinks. But, you know, recipes were written in such a different way back mm-hmm. then, and when it calls for sherry, there's there's no specification whether it's Amontillado or Oloroso, and so it's been kind of fun seeing seeing her play with that process as mm-hmm. well and being part of it. Yeah. yeah it's kind of fun. And that's, that's true. I mean, there there's a, a culture now where people like to share what they do. They share their recipes. Mm-hmm. Everything is published. There's there's no more like secret formula. Like, I mean, you, you remember even yeah. like 15 years ago, it was all about like your your secret formula. Yeah. yeah. Um, but especially the those early bartenders in the the 19th century, I'm sure that they were much more secretive. They were like the 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 Nona who like gives you every ingredient <laughs> yeah. to, to her tomato sauce and leaves one out intentionally. Yeah, like the guantale, and you're like, ah, yeah. how do you leave out the guantale? <laughs> It was even like that in the tiki movement, though, and I think we're yeah. s- we're sort of in some bars. You still see that. Like I, for the life of me, cannot get that ginger syrup recipe from from the Sa- Sasha Petrosky places. And I know that it's out there, but if you ask any of those guys directly, they're like, "Oh, sorry, sweetie, I can't, I can't let you in on that." Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there still are certain things that are the signature of certain places like that that people keep secret, and it keeps sort of the mystique of this industry as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us about the uh what you see as uh evolving in the the drinks world. Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh one thing that for me has attracted me to to spirits is like seeing that that you know, we're kind of reconsidering a lot of these things like mezcal and rum agricole and mm. cognac and and understanding that they're agricultural products. And I think a lot of people in a lot of people when they think of spirits, they think of Jose Cuervo, they think of Bacardi and there are those two things could not seem further from being an agricultural product. And I think where there is sort of this kind of back to the land um, movement in, in spirits and people are starting to see how not only do they impact the environment, but how they can reflect terroir. And so for me, I, I see this, the industry going forward in that way on the spirit side, just coming at it from a wine perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I loved your, your mezcal piece, which mm-hmm. had more pictures of the of the agave fields yeah. than it did of, you know, of, of, of the actual production mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. yeah, that was a, a great um, photographer couple that we work with, Pete and Monk, and we're actually working with them more. Um, but they're they're super talented, and they ended up going to Jalisco, and I think it was um, it was actually tequila, it was tequila, but yeah. very was similar tequila. process, yeah, yeah. and similar. and they they really captured it, and I think that's exactly what Talia is hitting on that it's it's less about the bottling and what happens inside of a factory, but more about what's happening and being grown in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's and it's a really cool time, I think. And I think it's revolutionary for the spirits industry, and and you know I think it it, it it creates a lot of room for small artisanal people making really interesting spirits to to like kind of really cut into that market share. So um, I mean, and look, Bacardi is always going to be Bacardi, and and you know Jose Cuervo is always going to be Jose Cuervo, but. Um, but I think people are kind of looking in an opposite direction, which is really exciting. Yeah. I think that is exciting. Uh, okay, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back with more um, with Tali Baiocchi and Leslie Pariso from Punch. Check out their website, punchdrink.com, but we'll, we'll have some more of them in a little bit. <laughs> Listening to Snickers by Obesity on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
interested in emerging design, check out Of A Kind, a site that sells the pieces and tells the stories of up-and-coming makers. The site has featured over 200 designers and offers limited edition pieces you can't find anywhere else, along with the studio tours, travel guides, even recipes from the designers. To find out more, head to ofakind.com and sign up for the site's newsletter. Back on In the Drink, um, I'm here with Tali Baioki and Leslie Perso from Punch. Uh, check them out at punchdrink.com. Uh, they were during our break. They were telling me about a uh, a video segment on uh, tonging, and uh, <laughs> and I, I just love hearing about tonging. Tell, yeah. tell us about what's tonging all about. It sounds it sounds dirty, but it's not. No, it's not. It's um, it has to do with port. But port tonging, which I recently found out about this, is an obscure wine practice um, where it's a metal tong and they heat it up in the fire and then they put it over the neck of an old vintage port bottle. It's generally port. And it heats up, like it basically creates a ring that's mm-hmm. really, really hot. And then, and Leslie just watched this happen. So she could. And then they put a bit of, they brush a bit of ice water onto it. And I think the temperature difference allows the break, the, a clean break. And then they dip each side of the bottle in wax so that when they pour it, there's no, there's Shards, no chance of shard. Yeah. So, so you see this in yeah. uh, no shortage in, in your <laughs> no time. <shortage. laughs> uh, you see this in Portugal. I've seen I've seen it happen in, in Portugal, really only yeah. um, for for very very old uh, vintage port because vintage port I think of, of any wine maybe throws the most amount of sediment. Mm-hmm. So if you can like disturb that bottle as little as possible, mm-hmm. um, that's that would be really preferable. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, w- so what what got you interested in tonging? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we so I, I got an email from Sarah Rosenberg who works with Eleven Madison Park and the Nomad and she like literally there was it was so cryptic. It was just like port tong all she just said is port tonging and I was like, What is port tonging? And so I went on YouTube and looked it up and like the only video I found was this like super creepy guy um, <laughs> who had like a pot belly and he was with his kid and he was like demonstrating this whole process. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And everyone right now is obsessed, obviously, with sabering. It's like the new cool thing. And so I was like, yeah, is Patrick port tonging. it looks so good. Yeah, he really so does. Much fun. But like is could port tonging become the mm. new sabering? And I think we're, we're trying to answer that question. So getting to the bottom of this really important What's thing. What's so interesting <laughs> is that Eleven Madison, obviously, it's one of those places you go for a dining experience. But they wheel this cart out. And they've got the whole the whole setup there. But they actually do it, he said, up to like two or three times a night, which mm-hmm. wow. is, is funny because I don't think I've never seen it anywhere else. And I, no. I don't think you have either. But they do also do it for old bottles um, where the corks may be more disintegrated than others so that 
they get they get a bit of flair while they're opening opening a bottle without breaking a cork. There's like something like really like Victorian or whatever about like <laughs> taking like opening a bottle with like a hot iron. <laughs> it's like really primitive in a dining room. Yeah, in a dining, right. dining room. Yeah, but everyone loves fire. So like if you can bring fire into anything, people just like their their eyes go wide and they're just kind of like captivated. Yeah, that's why we deals. light punch on fire. So. <laughs> 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 you you light the internet on fire. No, we light we like we actually create flaming bowls of punch. It's, we did a video. We did where a video. We did this obscure recipe. It was it's, it was a recipe that was um, written by Charles Dickens, who was a great drinker of his time. Mm. And to caramelize all of the sugar, he set the spirits on fire before he added any of the juice or the the tea or water or whatever you would use. Um, and you let it sit there for three minutes, just flaming away. Yeah. And you it's did a romantic. video of this, and it's on the website? Yeah, I did. Do you recommend doing this at home? Uh, <laughs> Heatproof heat bowl. Carefully. <laughs> Heatproof bowl and have a pan to put over when you need to extinguish the flame, because you can't blow. You can't blow that out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, blow it onto your guests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Becomes a flamethrower. Yeah. I'm sure there's been a lot of mishaps with flaming bowls of punch in, in, the, in, history. in the 300 years of, of punch making or whatever. But um, yeah. Where did you come up with, with the name punch? Obviously, in cocktail history, punches might be some of the oldest, mm-hmm. um, the original way that people... Would, would drink, they would sort of all drink uh, around the the same punch bowl and mm-hmm. everyone would have the same sort of drink. Is is that where it came from? Kind it's, of. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different um, things that sort of inform the name. And one, I think this communal aspect of like coming together around a bowl of punch, like that being sort of symbolic of what we're trying to create, which is something that really people felt um, a lot of different people could come to the place and feel comfortable on on the site, and I and, and so that that certain sense of of, um, of community was certainly informed the name. And then also there was an old British magazine that was a literary magazine called Punch, and it's no longer, but it it lasted for got I probably on and off for 150 years. I mean, it was sort of the New Yorker of of London, and um, and so that sort of was also a little bit of a nod to to that magazine. And it was there was a lot of it's hilarious actually, like I've it's very rarely that you sort of laugh out loud to something from like the 19th century, but like yeah. it's All really of the funny. archives are online. You can go and find almost every single issue. And actually, when we were designing our logo and our branding, we looked to a lot of the. Um, they they would change their logo actually re- relatively often, so we look to a lot of those designs to inform our own design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And before you uh, before you launched, you released a little pamphlet mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I loved and have shared with our bartenders, and it's kind of floating around the mm-hmm. uh, the group right now. Yeah. But I think is really really beautifully done and, and kind of hand bound. Mm-hmm. Do you plan on doing anything else that will that will be printed? We, we have always had plans for print, and um, now that we are up and running and we've sort of established our voice and tone, um, I think we'll start looking to, to doing things like a quarterly or a biannual journal, something that is feels like an object that you can keep on your shelf. Um, and we'll probably create stories that you know are better told in print than necessarily the web, mm-hmm. um, maybe some longer forms, definitely some of the, the photography that you've been seeing on the site and illustrations as well. So you think that it, sort of a longer story is better in, in print? Yeah. that would be the difference? Yeah. Definitely. It's, you know, when you're, we think about how we sort of consume information on the web, most people are just kind of li- like literally we're like on a crawl every day and you're like stopping off and you're like have, taking like a little piece of information and moving on. And, and not, it's, it's not often that you're spending like a ton of time on one website, like reading a bunch of stories. But when you're, when you're sitting at home and you have like this 
this tangible thing. Like you want to sit around and, and read or like have a drink while you're doing or drink your coffee and read a story. And I, that's why I think that in some ways everyone thinks, oh, the web is the future. But um, but I think in some ways, like a lot of things that, that we would want to do, we can't do on the web. And we're seeing a great <clears throat> revival right now of print journals, everything from Lucky Peach to Cherry Bomb. And I think that that's getting at something that um, people want. They want to hold something in their hands. But, and we're always going to be on the internet, but I think that there's, there's always going to be a space for print as well, and yeah. we would love to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. Uh, there's, I think, yeah. been a void of good print journalism, especially when it comes to the, the drink industry. I completely agree. Yeah, and you, you, know, you go to a place, like you go to these small bookstores, or you go to, you know, for me, I go to the Meat Hooker Brooklyn Kitchen, and you see like this entire row of of these incredible food journals, and not there's nothing, not one thing on drinks, and it's sort of weird. And um, and I think that's going to change for sure. I hope that more people get into that game, and and we start to see some really creative um, drink stuff. You see some of it from London, but nothing really here. Yeah. There's also a section on your site that is um, kind of newsy, more mm-hmm. more than these kind of stories yeah. are. Uh, fun newsy newsy clips that are a little bit more current eventsy. Yeah. Um, how do, how do you decide what to uh, what to include for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that part of our site is still very much evolving, but they're really fun. Like MSNBC's Chuck Todd doesn't like American beer. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's stuff that we we find while we're we're all day trolling on on TweetDeck and and. Um, constantly checking our, our inboxes for new press releases. But it's one of those things that we're sort of discerning, something that would fit in with our tone normally. Um, and we have a great um, intern that works with us who's been on a lot of the news, too. And she's got she's got a very natural voice, so she's been helping out. But, yeah, it, it has to be current. It has to be the day of. Um, a lot of it is, is, is a bit silly for us for because it's become <laughs> a little bit of an outlet. And I think it's just like, you know, I think, you know, we're working on a lot of, serious stories but i think with the site one thing that we both want to want to convey is that like we don't take ourselves too seriously and and you know that this is fun i mean it's alcohol after all and so there's a lot of like there is stuff about bieber and like there's a lot of googling <laughs> of celebrity drinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is fun to read about i mean yeah. come on everyone wants to read right, about so like, the latest dui from whoever <laughs> who has who has kind of the worst celebrity drinking habits and who dennis has rodman is really hot right now yeah you know the whole north korea situation is pretty messy and so it's it's not it's not good but we're always we've got our ears peaked for the whenever beebs. he's he's about the to show up the beebs never-ending sort of source <laughs> of ridiculousness <laughs> i love this that, that now that the white house has to make an official statement on whether or not to did you hear about deport this? him whether or not to deport yeah. justin bieber i had not yeah. heard this so on, on whitehouse.gov they they basically have the section where anyone can submit uh a petition and if they get a hundred thousand signatures on it then the white house has to research it, it and make a an official statement on it and uh one of them was uh, should we we should deport Justin Bieber? He's uh, you know he's send he's him really, back to Canada. Send him back to Canada. He's on this kind of entertainer's and visa. American that, society. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's like really something we should seriously consider. But <laughs> <laughs> any celebrities have particularly excellent drinking habits that you know of? Ooh, that's a great question. I have I've heard that. Ashton Kutcher does well. He, you know, they were recently in the, the um, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher were like they've been kind of like hopping around some cool wine regions. They were mm. in Jerez drinking sherry during the feria, mm. and then were they recently like 
like in in we do not we don't actually do we don't really follow this i'm really i'm not up on my us weekly no Um, but we do have we have a um a a constant piece that comes up every every couple weeks every three weeks called drinking with and we've hit on some people like we did ari shapiro um from npr who was once the white house correspondent has recently moved over to london um, we did one with uh, Nancy Wang from LCD Sound System, who has excellent taste in wine. Mm-hmm. So we're always looking for more of that. So if anyone has any suggestions, please yeah. do. <laughs> but, the, you know, musicians doing. on the whole, like a lot of the time you see, there's like this whole enclave of Brooklyn musicians that are really yeah. interested in wine, mm-hmm. and specifically natural wine, which is really interesting. And then obviously, you know, there is a there is a budding interest in Barolo on the black metal <laughs> side. But like there's, yeah, there's a lot of musicians who are really interested in wine. In, in drinks in general so um, yeah but and well I, I hear that Drew Barrymore even though yes she makes like a really not good Pinot Grigio <laughs> actually like is, is legitimately interested in wine yeah. but you know <laughs> and uh, what, what, what stories that have not been released yet are you, are you really excited for, uh, for them to come out Ooh, that's a good question I'm working on one right now that is, is not fully formed but it, it talks about the intersection between tattoos and the spirits industry um, because there is there's this really odd marketing tactic mm-hmm. I guess it's not so odd anymore but Sailor Jerry um, once or twice a year offers free tattoos for people and it's it's genius marketing to permanently tattoo. brand a human yes yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. but it's also such an odd thing because usually tattoos are thought about as this thing that is sort of rebelling against the usual um, usual mores of society and like marking yourself with your individuality mm-hmm. and for people to buy into an actual brand and brand themselves is such an such, a, such an odd really thing weird yeah and we're working we have a beautiful photo essay that we're doing on the meadowwoods uh bar program which is sort of like for lack of a better description is sort of this like farm <laughs> to to drink i hate that but there's really no other way to say it but they're us- utilizing all of these incredible ingredients on the mm-hmm. property and um, I think, you know, the West Coast cocktail, we did a story about how it's sort of kind of fallen off and this idea of, of sourcing all of these California ingredients and making these amazing drinks. But it's sort of alive and well in, mm-hmm. in wine country. And um, we just shot a beautiful kind of from the field all the way to the, the creation of the, the cocktail, which is super cool. Yeah, I, I love how the, the publication has a great intersection of art, history, <clears throat> culture, agriculture um and and what's going on right now beautiful photography uh, both of your your voices uh and other talented writers uh it's you, you're doing a tremendous job and <laughs> thank so you. thank you Thanks, thank Joe. you for for adding this to uh to the the drinks world uh we we needed it um uh, i hope that you you're inspiring other people to to do the same because yeah, it's, we hope it's so too. great yeah and it's great um, and thanks so much to everyone for listening. Uh, just uh, a little personal plug. Um, we have uh, recently, <laughs> uh, in the last few months, launched our uh, catering company, Epicurean Events. And so if anyone Woo-hoo! out there would like to throw <laughs> a party or do uh, a drop-off lunch catering for your op- very, very, very lucky office, uh, give us give us a shout at epicurean-events.com. And check out. make sure you check out um, punch. Uh, it's really outstanding. As I said, it's punchdrink.com. Uh, Talia and Leslie, thank you so much. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks to you guys for listening. It's been In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.